Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. So everywhere along the way, I would see what am I doing I would record it. I would make a training video, a standard operating procedure. I would test it. I would refine it. And then I could get myself out of it. So now today, I work two hours a week in Frontier Properties, just talking to the team and then looking at the numbers. How many offers went out? How many deals are pending? How many deals did we close? is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Mark Podolsky, a.k.a. The Land Geek. He is a location-independent entrepreneur, real estate investor, and the founder and owner of Frontier Properties, which has completed over 5,000 raw land deals since 2001, with an average return on investment of over 300% on cash flips and over 1,000% on financed deals. Mark has also built an information product and coaching business around his land investing techniques, where he trains and mentors students on how they can replicate his methods. He has automated his land investing processes, and he has built his company with a completely location-independent infrastructure so he can run it from anywhere in the world. He hosts the Art of Passive Income podcast, and he is the author of the book, Dirt Rich, How One Ambitiously Lazy Geek Created Passive Income in Real Estate Without Renters, Renovations, and Rehabs. Mark, welcome to the show. Matt Bowles, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. It's been way too long. Before we started talking, I I told you there's been that void in my life. And now that it's been filled, I, I can't tell you just how grateful I am to spend some time with you. You know, it has been a void in my life as well, my friend. I feel you and I have known each other now. I want to say it's been at least four years. I have been on your podcast a couple of times. I did not have a podcast the first time you invited me on your show. And so I am now super excited for my audience to meet you because you are really 
one of the guys in the real estate space that's really, really doing impressive things. And you're one of the most impressive entrepreneurs that I know as well. And so I'm super excited to dive into both of those things today. So thanks for being here, my man. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, just to set the context too, in terms of where we're doing this from, I am currently on the West Coast of Africa. I am in the city of Dakar in Senegal. And where are you today, my friend? I am in a ball of shame because I'm in the most (laughs) miserable place on the planet right now, Phoenix, Arizona, where it's 115 degrees. And I would just like to live vicariously through you. Is that asking too much? I definitely have more ocean and more beach next to me at the moment because I am right on the coast. Although it's pretty it's pretty warm here as well, my man. But I know you have a long time connection to Phoenix, right? Can you talk a little bit about I mean, let's just start off sort of with your background in terms of where you grew up and what your life trajectory was like when you stumbled upon this whole land investing thing. Yeah, so I was working in investment banking work with uh, private equity groups, working with doing mergers and acquisitions with these private equity groups doing mid-market stuff, nothing crazy, you know, five to 500 million in enterprise value. And Matt, I hated it. I mean, I really, really just hated it. I had a a 45-minute commute to work and back. I was micromanaged. It was long hours, not a lot of control. And it really started to eat away at me. Just the fact that all I was doing every single day was making rich people richer. And so it got so bad that I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues (laughs) anticipating the weekend going by really fast and having to be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy. He's telling me that as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land pennies on the dollar. He's flipping them online and he's making an average return on his investment of 300%. So I'm looking at companies all day long and a great company, Matt, a great company has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Your average company is at 10%. And I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So I don't believe him. And I've got three grand saved up for car repairs. We go to this tax deed auction in New Mexico. I do exactly what he says to do. I buy up 10 half acre parcels at an average price of $300 each. I put them online. And 10 days later, they all sell at an average price of $1,200 each. 300% it worked. So I took all that money. I went to another auction in Arizona. And this is where I live. And again, this is the year 2000. There's no one around. There's, you know, it's a real small room. I'm buying up lots. I'm buying up acreage, no competition. And over the next six months, I sold all that land and I made over $90,000 cash. So I go to my wife. I say, honey, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to be a full-time land investor. She's pregnant. She goes, absolutely not. So I said, okay, okay, fine. So I worked in the investment banking business at the same time as my land investing business and for about 18 months until the land investing income exceeded the investment banking income. And then I quit in 2001 and I've been doing it full-time ever since. Wow. Okay. So let's go a little bit deeper on how this whole land investing thing works. Can you take us a little bit deeper and tactically on how one of these land deal transactions goes down? 
Yeah, let's let's walk through a deal together. So Matt, you're in Senegal. And for our illustration, I'm going to pretend that you live there a lot. And I go to this county in Texas and I say, oh, there's Matt Bowles. He's living in Senegal, Africa. He owes $200 in back taxes on this 10-acre parcel in Texas. Well, Matt, you're advertising two things to me. Number one, you have no emotional attachment to that raw land. You're in Senegal, the property's in Texas. And number two, you're distressed financially in some way because when we don't pay for things, we don't value them in the same way. And you haven't paid your property taxes. As a result, the county treasurer has been sending you tax notices every month saying, Matt, if you don't pay your taxes, you're eventually going to lose that property to a tax deed or tax lien investor. So what I'll do is I'll take a look at the comparable sales on that 10-acre parcel. And let's take the lowest comparable sale. And all I'm going to do is divide by four. And that's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So let's say that the lowest comp is 10 grand for your 10-acre parcel. I'm going to send you an actual offer mat of $2,500 because I don't want to be in the appraisal business saying, I'm interested in buying your land. You're like, I'm interested in selling my land. And now we're in a negotiation. I'm sending you an actual offer of $2,500. Now you accept it because this asset has now become a liability for you. Now in reality, three to 5% of people accept our quote unquote top dollar offer of 25 cents on the dollar. So now that you've accepted the offer, I'm going to go through due diligence or in-depth research. I want to confirm you still own the property. I want to confirm back taxes are only $200. I want to have my team in the Philippines tap into the American title company and do a title check, make sure there's no liens or encumbrances, no breaks in the chain of title. I want to find all the maps and they'll get the GIS map, the plat map, the aerial maps. And while we're doing all this, we're actually creating our marketing package for our buyer. So we'll go through our checklist. Everything checks out. We buy the property. We give you a check for $2,300. We pay off the $200 in back taxes. We own it free and clear. And then Matt, I'm going to sell this property in 30 days or less. Now I have a built-in best buyer. Do you know who it is? Who? The neighbors the neighbors. So I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Expand your holdings, protect your privacy, protect your views. And oftentimes the neighbors will then buy that 10-acre parcel. Now, if the neighbors pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. My buyer's list passes, I'll go to a little website you've probably never heard of called Craigslist, 10th most trafficked website in the United States. I'll go to an even smaller one, Facebook, buy, sell groups, and marketplace. And then there's the lands. There's landmoto.com, landandfarm.com, landhub.com, landflip.com. There's all these platforms where people buy and sell raw land. Now, the way that I'm going to sell it is where the magic happens. I'm going to ask for a $2,500 down payment. So I want to get my money out on the down payment, or I might go out six months. And then I'm going to make it a car payment. Let's say $4.49 a month at 9% interest over the next 84 months. And essentially now, I've actually got my capital out and I've created a passive income stream of $4.49 a month over the next 84 months. And Matt, no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act, all this onerous real estate legislation. And then the game that we play is, can we create enough of these notes where our passive income exceeds 
our fixed expenses. And then we're mad bulls. We're working when we want, where we want, with whom we want, and have total freedom. I love that. So you're able to build the business and run it completely location independent from anywhere. You're able to create a time asynchronous lifestyle and work when you want. And I love the way that you have developed that. I want to go a little bit deeper, though, and talk to you about how you actually develop your buyer list and how you are confidently able to consistently sell this land once you acquire it. How do you do that? So essentially, the buyer's list is a typical opt-in on our website that says, hey, you're a coupon for your uh, $250 off your first piece of property as well as how to avoid the three fatal land buying mistakes. And in exchange for that email, I'm going to give you this coupon and this valuable information to make you a better land investor. And once they give me their email, I start nurturing them through a email autoresponder series. So we kind of get to know each other first before I ask for anything. I explain to them that this is going to be the simplest most transparent real estate transaction they've ever had. I'm going to explain to them, we have an A-plus rating on the BBB. I'm going to start building trust. I'm going to show them testimonials. I'm going to explain to them some of these common mistakes we see and how to avoid them and make them smarter and more educated. Again, building trust. I'm going to explain to them why land is the best investment. It's the only thing that lasts. It's going to outlive them. It's going to outlive everybody. It's a generational asset. And you don't have to maintain it, nothing to protect and start building you know, that trust in that sense. And then after seven to 10 emails, I'm going to ask for something. I'm going to say, hey, look, here's our deal of the week. All you have to do, if you want to start owning what I consider the best asset on earth, and here's all the proof why it is, go ahead and with a clear call to action, click on this button, learn more, and we're going to take away all the risk. Because we never want anybody to buy property sight unseen. Make your down payment. Lock up that parcel for the next 90 days. Go out there. If you don't love that property for any reason, I'll exchange it for property you do love or I'll refund you. You have a 365-day exchange guarantee. So now it's so irresistible from a pricing standpoint. We've removed the risk and there is just a lust for land in this country, Matt. And that's how we sell property so quickly. So in terms of being able to liquidate these assets for 300% return on what you bought it for, let's stick with the original example. You bought it for 2500 and then you're going to sell it for 10000 The person that buys it for 10000 if they're not a neighbor, right, and they're not just personally expanding their holdings and making their yard bigger and you know that sort of thing, what is the investment play for someone that is going to buy it from you for the $10,000 price? What is their motive? What are they going to do with it? So oftentimes they want to use it for recreational purposes or they want to use it as just, they just like the way it feels. Like sometimes I'll, I'll refer to it as man jewelry. They just like to go to their neighbor and say, Hey, I just bought 10 acres for $10,000 because most likely where they live, that's not possible. So it's the feeling of getting this great deal and I own a real asset that one day I can improve, I can go out, I can use, I can develop whatever I want to do with it. And the taxes are low. And so it's just something that a lot of people like to own. 
And how are you finding those people? And then as your students come up and develop their own businesses, how are they finding the same types of people? Are these mostly geographically specific things where someone says, I'm going to buy land in this one particular area, this one particular city, and they're trying to find those investors that they're going to resell it to in the same local area? Like, how are you developing that the sort of exit strategy in terms of finding those people? Yeah, we want to market to people who are about two to three hours from the property and hit those biggest cities because we want the biggest buyer pool. And then we also want to just use basic marketing techniques. So in every ad, we're going to have urgency, scarcity. We're going to have a clear call to action. And we're also going to have an anchor. So what I mean by an anchor is... We're going to have the original price. Let's say in our example, it was $12,900. We're going to cross that out. That's our anchor. And now it's $10,000. So in our minds, we can't unsee the $12,900. And we immediately think, oh, this is a great deal. And it is a great deal because I already made my money on the buy. And I'm leaving enough money for the investor or the person to use it through time that that property is worth what we're selling it for. And so they have instant equity from day one. And we kind of walk them through that as well, showing them the recent comps and that using that as an anchor as well. So the beautiful thing about land is that this is one unique piece of property. There will never be another one just like it. And so here's your opportunity. So we create that urgency, we create that scarcity, and then we show them how easily it is to make a down payment with our software. We use a software called geekpay.io. And we can get into this, Matt, because everything I do, I have the philosophy, I can always make more money. I can't get more time. So the business is 90% automated with software and inexpensive virtual assistants. So using GeekPay.io, it's a one-time set-it-and-forget-it system where we collect the money and then we start getting our monthly payments via ACH, their checking. If the checking fails, then it'll hit a backup payment for like credit card on file. So our default rate went from 8% to 4% just using software. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about the automation piece of it. Can you explain when you went about automating your business, what were the different pieces of it that you automated? What order did you automate them? And sort of take us through what that process was like when it was fully manual and then how you automated it to the extent that you have now. So when I first started, it was fully manual and I didn't have a mentor sort of, you know, telling me, Hey, Mark, you don't have a business. You are not, you are not an entrepreneur. You think you're an entrepreneur, but what you have here is you've built a job for yourself because you are personally doing all the work. And so for the longest time, I was just so happy to be out of my investment banking job and just making money. I didn't, it never really occurred to me that oh my, this is not really a business in the, in the traditional sense where I'm making money in my sleep. And then once I realized that, I started taking apart every piece of the business that I was personally in and I was either delegating it, automating it, or eliminating it. And so the first piece of this is county research. There's 3,007 US counties. Which county am I going to go to? And so I created a, a standard operating procedure on this is how I've done this for the past few years. This is what I look for. These are where the deals are happening. And that way, I could bring in an acquisition manager and they could do the county research. And then from there, 
I said, okay, we have to get a list of people that own real property in that county. Well, let's go ahead and standardize that. This is how you get the list. And then we would go to fiverr.com and find an Excel ninja, and they would scrub out the list of people that have commercial property or residential property, industrial property. So all I was left with was vacant land. Then we would batch that list by size. So I'm not going to send somebody the same offer with 40 acres as somebody with one acre. The person with 40 acres is going to send me glitter back in the mail. So then we batch the list. Then we price it. Here's how you get the comps. And then all you're going to do is divide by four. And then we upload that into our software. So in the very beginning, I had Janie in South Carolina manually doing the offers and doing a lot of the front end of the business. And then as the software started to develop, we created our own proprietary software system where we can then just upload the list and press a button. And using an API with lob.com, they would do address verification and send out our mailers for us. And that's really just the front end of it from there. Now, once the mailers come back, we started using automations with RingCentral combined with Zapier and Fancy Hands. Because oftentimes, Matt, they would be confused or they'd be mad and they'd want to call and talk to me and yell at me. So we would screen the sellers first before they would even talk to our acquisition manager using that automation piece as well. So then the intake manager would take notes. If they were a real seller, it would then go to the acquisition manager. The acquisition manager would then contact them, explain the closing process, and then buy the property. From there, we would then use a software called Simplifile.com to even record the deeds online. We could just scan the deed and upload it. We didn't even have to go to the recorder anymore in these Simplifile counties. So that was another big piece of it. And then automating the late the neighbor letters, teaching a virtual assistant how to go to GIS maps to you know locate the neighbors, make that a list, upload that again into our software and send out those neighbor letters. And then from there, our acquisition manager would start the marketing process. We use software called postingdomination.com forward slash the land geek that automates Craigslist postings and Facebook postings so I could create 80, 90 ads just by pressing a button. And then from there, the acquisition manager would work with the buyers and then close the deal with software like geekpay.io. So everywhere along the way, I would see what am I doing? I would record it. I would make a training video, a standard operating procedure. I would test it. I would refine it. And then I could get myself out of it. So now today, I work two hours a week in Frontier Properties, just talking to the team and then looking at the numbers. How many offers went out? How many deals are pending? How many deals did we close? That is awesome, man. Can you talk a little bit about now your hiring process? So once you have built the systems, you've written the processes, you've created the trainings... What is then your process for hiring staff to run these systems? And maybe just take us from the very beginning when you started hiring people and then all the way up through you know, building out the full team that you have today. Sure. I mean, when I started hiring people, I wanted to tap into global talent. And luckily, there are platforms out there that make it so easy for you. So when I started, it was odesk.com, which is now 
Upwork.com, which is a combination of Elance and Odesk. Fiverr.com was really a great place to find global talent. And then once the people would pass sort of my tests, and Matt, the way I like to, to hire somebody is I don't even bother with an interview, honestly, because I have confirmation bias. I really just want to see how they do the work. So we'll hire three and then we'll keep one. And essentially, we'll just give them a test that is impossible to complete. And I want to see, will they think for themselves? Or are they going to come to me and say, and just throw up their hands and say, this is impossible. So that's really the test that we try to give them is something that they have to really think and try to solve and problem solve in a, in a really unique way. And then we know, okay, this is an A player, and then we get rid of the other two. So we want global talent. We want inexpensive global talent. And then we start filling in those positions with the emphasis being that it's not the person that's so important as it is the process. The process should be so strong, so simple, so bulletproof, that if that really valuable virtual assistant ends up leaving whatever it is, changing whatever, we're not vulnerable. And that takes years and years to develop. But once you do it, you're really free. And can you talk a little bit about your management process. And let's just, I mean, both personally, you as the CEO business owner, you know, your personal leadership style, I would be interested in hearing about. And then also how you structure your management systems to do, you know, project management uh, for all your staff and an internationally distributed team. Yeah. So my uh, acquisition manager manages the team. And then I just have a weekly meeting with my acquisition manager. So I give them a lot of leeway. I don't want to micromanage. So from the get-go, I sort of set the tone with what I expect. And then they just go out and execute because they care and they want to get the best people on their team because they're incentivized to do it. The more money that the company makes, the more money they make. And so really my management philosophy is very similar to like a Warren Buffett in the sense that it's really close to just abdication. I mean, it's, it's like, it's really, really decentralized in that aspect. So I can be traveling around the world, anywhere in the world, and I can just vox my team if I need to. Email is fine, a Zoom call, but we don't really need to meet physically very often. And we only need to meet once a week, maybe 30 minutes. That's it. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit now also about how you expanded your business and added additional streams of revenue? So once you automated and systematized the land investing process, what then did you do from there? So from there, I really wanted a new challenge. And I had somebody call me up and say, hey, Mark, will you teach me what you do? And so I said, well, I, I don't teach this. And he said, well, what if I pay you this amount? I said, oh, okay. Well, maybe I can teach it then. And I spoke to my wife about it. I said, honey, I'm, I'm going to train somebody how to do what I do. And she said, well, that's dumb. She's like, you're going to create your own competition. So I said, oh, yeah, you're right. That is dumb. Let's let's look at it from an investment banker standpoint. How big is the market? 
And what we realized was after doing a little bit of math, the market is massive and that you, me, millions of people could be in this niche. We're all going to run out of money before we, we run out of deal flow. Because if you go on HGTV or the DIY network, it's all about flipping houses. Nobody even talks about land. So it's the most unsexy niche out there. So there's virtually no competition. And then there's no big money in it, no hedge funds, no private equity groups. And so that's really why I started teaching people because, I mean, Frontier Properties is great, man. I mean, it, it really is gratifying for me and it helps my family and my customers love it. But no, no one who ever bought a piece of land for me said, hey, Mark, you changed my life with this land purchase. But now that I'm teaching people how to create total freedom and real wealth via this land investing model so that they can quit their jobs, spend more time with their families, travel around the world, do whatever they want to do, that's been the most gratifying thing I've ever done professionally. And really, I feel like I can die in peace because every single month, somebody's emailing me or calling me and saying, Mark, you're not going to believe this, but... I did this and now I can quit my job and or I can cut back on my job or I was my spouse was able to quit her job and now we're spending so much more time with our family with the ultimate goal being let's eliminate this big bucket of stress in our lives that we call money and if we can eliminate that then it's going to free up I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. Oceans of energy to do what we really want to do in life. That's awesome. So but why do you think that those big institutional investors are not coming into the space. For example, 10 years ago, when the real estate market crashed, we saw institutional investors for the first time coming in and trying to buy up thousands of single family homes and getting into these industries that they hadn't really been in before. If the returns are the way you're describing them, why are the institutions not getting into the land investing game and using the model that you're using and trying to do it at scale? They might do it, like let's say Ted Turner or Jeff Bezos, they might buy a productive farmland or timberland. That's 8% bond. In my model, it's too much money, Matt. You couldn't deploy $50 million overnight or $100 million. It's just too much money. So... For them, they need to deploy so much capital at scale that they need to do these bigger deals. They need to buy a tranche of $500 homes to deploy that much capital. If they bought 500 land lots 
and an average price of $10,000 each, that's not going to move the needle for them at all. Right. That makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about the risks in land investing? What is the wrong way to try to invest in land? And what do you do for mitigating those downside risks? Well, the big risk is not knowing what you're doing and overpaying. That's number one. The other big risk is screwing up your due diligence. If you buy in an area, let's, let's call it a super fun site, that could bankrupt you. So this is why I avoid the East Coast. I won't buy land in, say, New Jersey where there, or Pennsylvania where there could be a super fun site, an environmental mess. So really screwing up due diligence, not going on, let's say, epa.gov and, and figuring that out. But other than that, you really can't get knocked out of this game because we're not talking real money here. And what I have found is that there is a pig for every barn. Like I bought property that I personally would never want to own, but I'm not the market, man. And there's people out there that want to be 20 miles from town, military, people that don't like people, preppers. So they really like that land. I, I personally wouldn't want it, but they do. And so we're just providing a market for those people. And can you talk a little bit now more about your coaching and mentoring business and the way that that evolved and the way that you build an information product and service business? Yeah. So when I first started, I just really didn't really think about information product business in the, in the sort of the, the traditional way where you build a funnel and you create these emails. I really just started podcasting and talking about what I was doing and creating value that way. And that was really it. Or I would make these videos on YouTube and and people would just stumble upon me. And I would say, hey, look, here's this, this course. It walks you step by step through what I do. And you can start there if you're a do-it-yourself person. And a lot of people are like, well, this is, you know, a simple model, but like anything in life, it's not easy. So can you give me additional help? And I said, sure, I'll help you. And then from there, my star students became coaches because they were so good at executing on my model that they could teach and help other people. So again, I wanted to create an information business that provided freedom for me. So I wasn't in solo economic dependency, which means if I wasn't working, I wasn't making any money. And from there, everything became evergreen. So all the trainings became evergreen. The coaches would record their calls and we make our coaching even better. And we could add more products, add more services and step-by-step really solve every pain point in this business. And that's what we've done. What do you, now that you've been in the information product and service business for a while, and you've obviously studied a lot of other people that are in it, and you've built yours as effectively as you have, what are your sort of reflections or tips on what makes a great information product business? And for people that are looking to get into that space, what tips do you have for them? I think the biggest aha moment for me was you can't give out enough information. And you need to have this abundance mentality that the more you give, the more you get. So give out your best information for free. Let people 
work on it. Let them do it. Let them decide for themselves. And they'll come back to you and have faith in that. And so I like this quote, be impatient with your actions, but be patient with your results. And once I sort of let go of that, things really took off. I like that. That's awesome. Well, let's definitely talk a little bit about the podcast. You mentioned that you started that as one of your mediums. And I obviously, as, as we mentioned at the beginning, was a guest on your show. You've been doing it now for many, many years. So maybe just start off with talking about your podcast and what people can expect when they come and listen to your podcast, why you started the show and, and what you're doing with it now. And then I want to go a little bit deeper into, you know, into that. But but tell people a little bit about your podcast show. So I have three podcasts. I have the Land Geek podcast. I have the Best Passive Income Model podcast. And the current one is the Art of Passive Income podcast. And all three have a different sort of bent to them. The Land Geek podcast was all about land investing. And then I thought, well... I'm kind of bored of just talking about land investing. I want to talk to a guy like Matt Bowles. How do I do that? So then I started the Best Passive Income Model podcast where I would just interview experts from all walks of life, walk them through my model and ask them, do I have the Best Passive Income Model? And then from there, I thought, well, I've got this star student, Scott Todd. Wouldn't it be fun if him and I started talking about land investing and interviewing experts like you. And so that's when we started the Art of Passive Income podcast, which is a hybrid of both those podcasts. So once a week, we interviewed an expert. And then once a week, we do a roundtable where myself and our coaches discuss a pain point in the land investing business and just mastermind it and discuss it. I love that. That's awesome. So in your years of podcasting, and you obviously listen to a lot of other podcasts, and you know, you've done a lot of different things with your podcast. Can you talk about some of the lessons, reflections, and what for you really makes a great podcast? Again, sort of maybe with podcasters or aspiring podcasters in mind, what tips do you have for really building a great and effective podcast? I think the best podcasts get guests that are interesting and can provide value to the audience. But you as the podcast host need to provide that environment, if you will, of really good questions. And I'm selfish about that. Like I'll ask questions that I want to know and I won't go through a formulaic way. It's more organic as I'm listening to my guests. I'm getting more and more excited about what they're doing, which leads to more and more questions. So I, I actually just do a free-flowing podcast, very similar to what you do, instead of this formulaic sort of, okay, what are your favorite books? What are you, you know, what do you do here? What do you do here? And it's the same questions to every I'm not that interested in that. So I really want to talk to people that I find interesting and ask them questions that I find interesting and hopefully the audience will as well. Right. And do you have any tips for building your podcast audience and expanding awareness of your show and really building a listenership? I think it's consistency, honestly. It's, it's a slow drip. You just have to keep showing up and eventually it'll start building. I mean, there's so many ways now to repurpose content you can use a buffer or a hoot suite. You can take your podcast and 
you can transcribe it, make it a blog post, you can put it on the social media, but all those things, it's just a slow build, kind of like climbing a mountain. And then all of a sudden you get up to the top of the mountain and you've got that momentum and everything just seems a little bit easier on the downside of it. And you just have built this platform, but it, it always takes longer than what you think it should. So you mentioned here some forms of content marketing that you've done. So the podcast being one of them, which is totally free for people to listen and consume and find you through that. You mentioned some YouTube videos where you're putting out content and value and people are stumbling upon you and finding you that way. What other marketing tactics are you currently using today? Are you doing paid advertising? What platforms are you using for that? What types of marketing techniques are working well for you right now today? My favorite marketing technique is what I'm doing right now, which is talking on other people's podcasts as a guest. Because a paid ad, I have no trust. I have no nothing there. It's it's a really difficult way to start nurturing a lead. And you can do it, but it's very expensive and it's very time-consuming. But if I get on somebody's podcast like yours, I get instant credibility from the host. And then I get to spend time with somebody who might be on a, a work commute and they get to know me, they get to know my personality. And if they like what they're listening to, they can you know, consume a lot more content and really determine if I'm their guy or not, as opposed to a quick ad that's interrupting them in say a Facebook feed or, you know, a Google ad where they, you know, they're, they're typing land investing and they see that keyword and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like competing. I don't, I don't want to be, I want to be that blue ocean. There's no one can out compete me on being me. So wherever I can be me, I want to show up and be me. That's an awesome tip. All right. I want to ask you about the book now. The title is Dirt Rich, How One Ambitiously Lazy Geek Created Passive Income in Real Estate Without Renters, Renovations, and Rehabs. That's an awesome title, first of all. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about the book and what people can expect from the book? Yeah, I really enjoyed writing the book and telling my story, kind of being vulnerable about all the mistakes that I made, especially the ones where it was personal mistakes, where I had Parkinson's law of money, where the more money I made, the more money I spent in this kind of ego-driven thinking of, well, if I look wealthy, I'll feel wealthy. And really, it it didn't work. And it really hurt me. It hurt my family, hurt my children. So I talk about that. And then I came to the conclusion about what really is important to me in life and how the land investing business helps me really do the things in life that money can't buy, which is, you know, having time to develop my relationships, having time to work out, be fit, meditate, and of course, you know, having that, that time to, to move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs into self-actualization, like what do I really want to do with my life? And without having that time, I won't be able to sort of explore all of those, those things for myself. And that's really what 
I, I kind of talk about, and then I talk about obviously the the business model and how to do it as well. Can you go a little bit deeper on the part about making mistakes? And I'd love to ask you about your experience with the uh, what all what all business owners know as the entrepreneurial roller coaster, which goes up and it goes <laughs> and it goes down. Uh, and so I want to ask you about that, either in terms of mistakes that you've made or in terms of challenges or setbacks along your business journey? Anything that you can share as an example, and then how you overcame it, what you learned from it? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest mistake I made when I first started was just flipping for cash because I didn't know any better instead of really thinking about passive income. So that was like the first big mistake. I think the second big mistake was not surrounding myself with people smarter than me. And once I solved that issue by getting a smart mentor and smart mentors and having them look at my business with fresh eyes, I was really able to get to the next level so much more quickly and and not have to do everything trial and error that I was doing before. So I think those were the two biggest mistakes I really was was making from the outset. And when you experience business setbacks or financial challenges or other types of major life challenges that bring a lot of stress into your life, what types of techniques have you developed for stress management just personally? How do you handle really challenging situations when they befall you? Well, for years now, I've been a meditator and I really love meditation in the sense that every single moment I have an opportunity to get out of my head and be in the present. And just remembering that and practicing that day in, day out, each moment, you realize that there are no problems. So I can prove it to you right now. What problem do you have at this moment? You don't have any problem at this moment. You and I are just having a conversation. But if you start thinking about the past or you start projecting into the future, none of those things are real. The only thing that's real is right now. And if we have a problem right now, we can solve it. Otherwise, we're always sort of stuck in our head. And that's what stress is. Stress is that feeling that you're here, but you want to be there and you can't be there because there isn't there. It's an illusion. Right. Can you talk a little bit about your meditation practices and any other mindfulness practices that you do? And also, do you have sort of morning routines? Do you have evening routines? I'm I'm really curious about your day structure and how you integrate that into your life. Yeah. So every morning I wake up and the first thing I like to do is spend some time with my wife. And then after that, I want to meditate for 20 minutes. I like the Headspace app. I like the Waking Up app with Sam Harris. There's Calm.com. It really doesn't matter which app you use, but to really practice day in and day out consistently, I do it every day, seven days a week for 20 minutes. And then I realize that meditation is the only thing I can do every minute of every day. 
So when I'm doing anything, I really want to be fully in that moment and be aware of not being aware, which takes a lot of practice. It's very hard. For the longest time, I was just in a dream world, lost in thought. And so through practice and practice and practice, now I'm pretty good of just watching the thoughts, getting some space from them, watching the emotions, feeling the stress, embracing the stress, and just watching it like I would watch a football game or a basketball game and not be so involved in it. And then there's just sort of this calm about the day, which is hard to explain unless you're, you're experiencing it. Can you talk a little bit too about your fitness philosophies and how you integrate fitness into your life. I literally remember, I mean, we have to contextualize this for the audience. I think the last interview that I did with you on your podcast, you were literally walking on a treadmill desk as we did the interview, which was one of the most impressive (laughs) things that I've ever seen. So I would love for you to just share sort of your philosophy on, on fitness and how you integrate that into your life. You know, sitting's new smoking. I still have the treadmill desk. I actually now have a Peloton. So I love the Peloton. I can do a really tough workout, 30 minutes or less, get a good sweat. So I really want to work out 20 to 30 minutes a day, six days a week. So I use my TRX. I have that in my office. I have the Peloton and I have the treadmill desk. And I just want to sweat. I want to work out really hard, really fast and and do that and kind of just get it over with, if you will. I don't, I don't want to spend an hour and a half at a gym, you know, of uh, commuting and do all that. That for me doesn't really work that well. I kind of want to get going with my day, but it is a habit that I won't feel my best. I won't, I won't be my best for the outside world if I haven't taken care of myself first. So I think of it like, you know, the airplane. When they say, hey, look, put on your oxygen mask first and then help the the person next to you. So I put on my oxygen mask first by connecting with my loved ones, meditating, working out, and then I can go out and be the best version of myself the rest of the day. That's awesome. Or at least try. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to always do it. I've been a number of the people that I've talked to lately about their sort of morning routines and mindfulness practices have started to mention to me that they have a gratitude practice that they do every single day. Have you done anything with regard to gratitude practices? Oh, yeah. I've done journaling. I've done the five-minute journal. But for me, I discovered was it was a hollow practice in the sense that I was just checking off the box. And I was thinking, okay, now it's time to do my gratitude practice. And I wasn't really going that deep with it. it I'd start off very superficially. So I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my family's health. I'm grateful for my health. I'm great, you know, like like the, the typical things. It wasn't until I really, truly would be more mindful of every single moment of all the opportunities to be grateful. And now I don't need to write it down. I just need to feel it. So the more mindful I am of my day, the more grateful I feel. So just this morning, when I poured myself a glass of water, I was so grateful. I didn't have to boil the water. Like, it's amazing. I have fresh, clean water. That's incredible. 
when I, you know, go to my office, it's amazing. And I feel so grateful that I don't have to ever call HR to tell them I'm sick. I don't have to get in the car and fight traffic. So every little moment of my day is a gratitude practice. And so it's a continual moment-to-moment feeling of gratitude. Like even before we started this conversation, I could not have been more excited to, to talk to a hero of mine. Like you're living the life that everyone wants to live, Matt. And I couldn't be more grateful that there's someone out there doing all this and inspiring all these people to live their best lives. It's a hard thing to do. And I'm grateful for all these things that go way, way beyond just that sort of superficial, okay, I got to check off the box. You know, here's three things I'm grateful for today. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And thank you for your kind words, brother. I feel the same about you. I was so excited to have you on the podcast today because it's always a blast whenever you and I hang out. So definitely was a treat that I look forward to all day. Let me ask you this, just in terms of your lifestyle design and the choices that you're making as you are automating your business and having to work less in the business and recapturing your time. How are you choosing to spend your time? How are you designing your lifestyle? So I work three days a week. I work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Tuesday is my podcast days. Wednesday are my team meeting days. And Thursday are when I talk to clients. And then the rest of the time, I do what I call CEO type of work of thinking, learning, growing. Mondays and Fridays, I call my my terminal days. So I pretend, well, if this is my last day on earth, because look, I know it's morbid. I don't know when my last day is going to be. Well, how would I want to spend that day? And ultimately, it's very simple things. I want to have coffee or breakfast with my wife. I want to spend time with my kids. I want to hang out with a buddy. I want to read a good book. I want to work out. I want to meditate. And then at the end of the day, I think to myself, well, if I died in my sleep today, was this a good day? And it, for hopefully for the most part, it was. And you know that idea that I have in the back of my mind, I have a finite number of exchanges in my life. So every exchange I have, whether it's with my wife or my kids or uh, my friends or my colleagues, you know, this podcast, I really want to be my best self and not let these little things or, you know, a little argument sort of derail that, that finite encounter. Because I only have so many of them, I might as well really make it as impactful and wonderful as, as I can. For sure. That's awesome. All right, Mark, at this point, are you ready for the lightning round? Matt, I'm so ready. I can't even tell you. I'm jacked. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right, my man, what is one book that has impacted you over the years that you would most recommend to people other than your own? I love The One Thing by Gary Keller. I love that book. I combine that with The 12-Week Year by, I believe it's Brian Moran. I think those two books could be transformational. Awesome. What is one app or productivity tool other than your own that you are currently using that you would recommend to people? I love Airtable and I love Smartsheet. Yeah, those are good ones. Awesome. If you could have dinner with one person that's currently living today who you've never met, 
could be a celebrity, author, public figure, entrepreneur, anybody that's currently alive today, and it was just you and that person for an extended one-on-one dinner, who would you pick and why? Naval Ravikant. He is the CEO of AngelList. And I just find that guy absolutely brilliant. I'd want to talk to him about so many different things from meditation to philosophy to business, artificial intelligence. He, he's just a, a, a brilliant guy. He's, he's, like, he's like business Yoda. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good pick. All right. If you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Mark? Start meditating. Learn to meditate. Learn to watch your thoughts. Awesome. Because ultimately, it all starts there, right? Like if your mind is clear and clean, you're not getting lost in those things. Every exchange is, is, is better. I love it. All right. What is your number one top favorite travel destination that you've ever been to in your life that you'd recommend people check out? My top travel destination? Wow. That is a really tough question. I lived in Australia for six months. I really loved Sydney and going all the way up the coast to Cairns. I'd say, you know, Fraser Island was amazing. The Whitsunday Islands are amazing. I'd say you could have really incredible adventures in Australia. Awesome. What is your number one bucket list destination somewhere that you've never been that you would most love to go see? Honestly, I, I would want to talk to you about it. I don't think I know enough. <laughs> you, you've seen so many things. I'm like, well, uh, honey, uh, Matt said to go here. <laughs> so, you know, without talking to you first, I don't really know. I'd say that, you know, if you put a gun to my head and say, hey, put this on your bucket list, I, I might say Japan. But honestly, like you've been there and I might be, like, I don't know what I don't know. So I'd rather talk to someone like you who's been everywhere to say, oh yeah, Japan's great, but this really be a bucket list place to go because of A, B, C, and D. Right. And as you know, my friend, I'm at your disposal anytime to chat about travel destinations, but Japan is a good one. I spent three months there last year and it is uh, really, really a very special and spectacular country with a lot of very different and distinct and interesting places within the country. So I think that's a really good pick and the food is absolutely ridiculous. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm a huge foodie. I love food. Yeah, if you do nothing but eat all day long, you'll you'll have an amazing time. Awesome, man. Cool. Well, Mark, this has been absolutely amazing. It's been a super special episode, man. I want you to let people know how they can find you, how they can get a hold of you, follow you, listen to the podcast, read the book, find you on social media. And then I also want you to let people know if they are interested in learning more about land investing and your techniques in particular, what would be their first step and how can they learn more? So the best place to learn more is we have a $97 course called the Passive Income Launch Kit. I'd love to offer that to your listeners for free if they just go to landgeek.com forward slash launch kit and they can get that course for free. And that will really give them enough information to decide if they want to go deeper into the model, if it really 
resonates with them. And then as far as learning more, they can go to thelandgeek.com and they can find the book on Amazon. And they can also find the book on my site at thelandgeek.com forward slash dirt rich. Awesome. And then the podcast is available everywhere on iTunes or Spotify or wherever they go. And can you just say what, what, what the name of it is again? The Art of Passive Income Podcast. Absolutely. Cool. So they can just type that into iTunes or wherever and find that. But we are going to link that up as well as the book, as well as the link to the free course. And thank you, by the way, for offering that for free for the listeners. So we're going to put the direct links to all of that stuff that we just discussed in this episode in one place. You just go to the show notes at themaverickshow.com, go to the Mark Podolsky episode, and you're going to have all those links in one place. So if you're driving your car, working out, or things like that right now, you don't need to worry about writing it down. Just go to themaverickshow.com. It'll all be there in the show notes. Mark, this was spectacular, my friend. I really appreciate you coming on the show, my man. Matt, I am so appreciative for you and all you do and all the value you give. Thank you so much. Thank you for being you. I'm so inspired by you. And then I always you know, kind of go back in the house and remind myself that comparison is the thief of happiness. So I never try to compare myself to you. Well, you are an inspiration to me as well, my friend. Uh, You actually gave me some very, very helpful early podcasting advice. Uh, You, of course, were podcasting years before I started and uh, I came to you. You were very generous and gracious in giving me tips uh, on how to start my podcast and, you know, how to do it the right way from the beginning. And, uh, you know, definitely you are an entrepreneur that uh, I have been very impressed with. I've, I've been on your email list and, and I've been following you very closely in your, your trajectory for many years. And so you're someone that inspires me as well, my man. So I appreciate all that you do. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Good night. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you buy cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes real estate investors are making in today's market? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash avoid mistakes. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash avoid mistakes.